the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have our 11th grandchild, Barbara and I, and uh, he's a healthy uh, baby boy, and uh, he's lying close to mom's breast right now. Uh, what a remarkable, what a remarkable witness. I'm, you know, I'm talking like I was personally there, uh, not physically, but um, mom and dad have been given a lot of grace over the years as they have uh, brought children into the world, as has been the case for Barbara and I and uh, my son-in-law. Uh, uh, having the uh, background uh, in nursing and my daughter being very, very erudite as a mother, had what is called a home birth, as they do in the calm, God-centered and uh, experience-based environment um, where, you know, you can just be free of a lot of the tensions and a lot of the stresses that go on in the uh, in the hospitals. We often have talked about how it can be cold in there. It can be uh, frequently unkind, if you, if you know what I mean, if you're dealing with doctors and nurses who are so uh, uh, autobotonic, if you will, with these kind of processes. It can increase the stress levels. The environment can be somewhat of a, of a tension for both mom and the baby. So, um, you know, uh, what a blessing to be able to have a dad that can deliver his own child and a mom that is right there valiantly doing it, e- even as it happens around the world in most cultures, ladies and gentlemen, is called a natural home birth. What a joy to be able to do that by the grace of God and to be able to do that with uh, with the confidence that the Lord has given parents everything that they need to be able to uh, bring the children into the world safe and sound. So yes, little uh, our little brother is here now. We call him Jonah Isaiah Tran. His his next oldest brother is Micah. Um, so they're both biblical characters. They've got uh, two other brothers as well, Liam and Samuel, and then uh, three sisters also that are loving on him as well, Charity, Julia, and Christiana. So the Tran family are doing very well. For those of you who know me and know Rachel and know Will and know the family, keep them in your prayers for continued recovery. Uh, Rachel was telling us that this was a a challenging one for her, starting at about 3 a.m. You ladies who have had babies, you guys know how that goes. So we want to definitely keep them in your prayers. Uh, we are talking about how to introduce ourselves into and prepare our, ourselves for the new year, how to go about dealing with the new year in a way um, where we can uh, where we can best thrive. So right now, as I do every year with our congregation, I really pray about and think through what would be the theme for our year. How do we go about preparing for the year 2021? Uh, for us last year, the theme was co-laboring together with God, Second Corinthians 6, 1, which was a very, very important uh, set of theological principles. We can never get anything done without God. And there's nothing that will last if God is not doing it through us. You know, you'll often hear hear the saying that whatever is not done for Christ 
will not last, or whatever is done for Christ will last. Well, really, it's whatever is done through Christ or by Christ or by the grace of God, that will last. You and I can do a bunch of stuff that won't have any eternal benefit if it's not done through and by and in God himself, according to his, his will and word. So the year 2020, as you and I know, has been an extremely challenging year on a ton of levels. But might we be able to look back and say, wherein did we co-labor together with God to advance his purpose, to advance his glory, uh, and to advance the kingdom of God in the lives of men and women? You can share with me, if you want to, how that was for you in 2020, particularly with the ministry of Grace Bible Church. Um, our number is one 888 Love to hear from you about reflections on how God's grace kept you this year. And here again is the thought for the year coming. I'm talking about the term tried and thriving. The year 2021 will be a year of being tried but hopefully being tried will lead to our thriving in God. We are meditating upon a text in Isaiah 37, 21, where it speaks of taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. Taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. And I began to introduce us to that thought as we dealt with the birth of Christ yesterday, but we're going to unpack this more fully on Sunday as I do with New Year's themes. Isaiah 37.1, those who have escaped of the house of Israel, the remnant of the house of Judah will take root downward and they will bear fruit upward. We will explore the challenges of being in a very trying world, and I don't think things are going to change a whole lot in terms of the trajectory of, uh, of the global agenda and many of the policies that have already been foisted upon us over the last six to eight, nine months, and a number of the things you and I are going to be facing in what is called the year of reset, the year of building bigger and better with all of its uh, uh, anti-Christian uh, anti goals to be implemented in our world. And how, do, how does a believer engage a world that has clearly laid out universal globalistic policies that are going to be uh, overwhelmingly intrusive and overwhelmingly impactful in our lives, even to the point of, uh, of massive controls. And I'll talk a bit more about that. What I want to do is engage the people of God and engage you and engage our, our listening audience in how to live in the midst of a political system, a society where the agenda of the elite, the agenda of the powerful, the agenda of the wealthy and prominent, the agenda of the globalists don't actually have your best interest in view per capita. They look at things as a blank slate across the board for everybody and, and never looking at the nuances of individual uh, needs or individual capacity or individual this or that. And this is going to be the challenge in the year twenty. 21, as you're going to see policies roll out that are uh, economic, e economically uh, challenging. They are going to be medically challenging and therefore sociologically and psychologically challenging. And for the people of God, you know, that is also uh, to be understood as spiritually challenging. So my, my, uh, my goal will be to uh, help us to understand how to embrace the trials 
that will push our roots deeper down into the soil of grace so that they can draw from the well of grace, the water of life, which is God himself, and therefore bear fruit upward, even in the midst of difficult times. I know that sounds paradoxical. I know it sounds... Uh, uh, hyper uh, agricultural and its analogy and how does that play itself out in a practical way? Well, I'm excited about the sermon I'm going to preach this Sunday, Lord willing, and the principles that are going to come out of it and the things that we're going to be sharing even on this program, should I be on the air in the year 2021 with you uh, about how to actually uh, take the challenges that are going to be coming out of the mouth if you will, of the dragon, and look at them for what they are and then begin to implement uh, the promises of God relative to them uh, on a personal level. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking through is make, making sure that I am encouraging the people of God to, to really uh, take a, a very personal look at the areas in your life where God has graced you to thrive. Uh, and, and, and to acknowledge those areas and then to begin to engage those areas and, and begin to uh, implement them for the, for the uh, purpose of your own mental health. Because you're going to be hearing about health this year. We're going to be talking about spiritual principles to sustain your mental health as you continue to look to Christ, the hope of glory. And hopefully we can be a model in the year 2021 for good to men and women around the world. All right. It looks like we're up close to a break. I got to make sure that this uh, whole sound system is working well for you and I. The number is one 329 one Give us a call. Uh, lines are wide open with questions and and uh, comments and observations, however way you want to kind of help me put together an hour and 35 minutes of dialogue and uh, interchange. Love to hear from you on this Monday edition of Lifeline, one 367 You're listening to Jesse Giston. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're going to take a break and we'll be right and we are back. The time is 521 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open. Give me a call. one 367 Let's just begin to have a conversation. Let's begin to talk about it. Two lines open. one 367 um, Let me encourage you to think through the importance of being able to properly comprehend the challenges in your life. Uh, particularly as the days forthcoming, the year 2021 and beyond, for all intents and purposes, look like they're going to be even more challenges increased against the life of the people of God. Do not stick your head in the sand, but certainly uh, do not be fearful. Do not be doubting. Don't become conditioned by all of the draconian measures, all of the, the dominant narrative that presently is bringing men and women into all sorts of paralysis emotionally, paralysis psychologically, paralysis practically. Do not become a step first wife. Don't become a Manchurian candidate. Don't be set up to be a robot for the system. Your job is to be discerning. Your job is to be free. Your job is to articulate the grace of God and Jesus Christ, not only in your own life, but in the lives of those who need him so badly. 
um, the promise that's going to be rendered to the people of God amongst us at Grace, I share it with you. This is a word that came from the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah to tell the people of God who were surrounded by the enemy this very specific imperative. It's an indicative from God. This is how God sees his people. He says, those that will escape the house of Judah, they are called a remnant. And a remnant is always the group that escapes. The remnant that will escape the house of Judah shall again take root, shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Now, you need to understand what God is saying when he says that. Men and women who escape this cursed world of rebellion and disobedience and, and uh, hostility to God in the person of Christ. He's the great Judite. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When we escape by virtue of trusting Christ as our savior, we might look bad in the midst of the chaos that is actually engulfing our world right now. But here's what God promises. He, he promises that the remnant will actually take root downward. You got to think through that agricultural metaphor, because right now you look like you've been uprooted. You look like a wind, a tornado, a storm has come through your life and basically dis dislodged you and, and, and removed you from your place. You might even look like you have absolutely no standing, no, no apparent purpose, no apparent destiny, no, no region, no, no, no place to actually call your own. And that is exactly how uh, the enemy decide, is de it's destined to want to do it in your life and mine. Make it such that uh, over the next several years, there will be absolutely no reason for men and women to believe in any substantial relevance in terms of the true and the living God speaking and determining and decreeing and purposing our world. And the target of the battles that are forthcoming in terms of this great global reset will be targeted at men and women who hold a biblical worldview. We're already under that particular attack. You know that in so many segments of our world. But the idea of taking root child of God is the idea of joining Jesus Christ as the tree of life, being rooted and grounded in the true and the living God, the infinite mountain and rock of Gibraltar, so as not to be moved, drawing from that great well of grace, the spring of living water, the spirit of God himself, so that you take root downward as you're pressed upon by the trials and you bear their fruit upward. What a glorious prospect for the people of God to be able to thrive in the midst of trials, thrive in the midst of difficulty, thrive in the midst of assault, thrive in the midst of threat, thrive in the midst of limitations, and thrive in the midst of the challenges that are forthcoming. This is exactly what God made you and me for. He did not make us to lay down. He did not make us to stick our head in the sand. He did not make us to, uh, if you will, uh, capitulate. He did not make us to simply uh, follow toe and follow suit with the agenda of this world. He did not make us to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might know what that good and acceptable and perfect, mature, righteous will of God is so that we might be able to demonstrate what it means to be in the world, but not of it. We've got that mandate for this year. So we're going to be really angling at uh, the strategic assaults on our thinking, the strategic assaults, on our feelings, the strategic assault, 
on our identity, the strategic assault on our way of life, the strategic assault on our worship, the strategic assault on our God, the strategic assault on his word and the strategic assault against Christ. We're going to be looking at how all that is designed to strip you of being rooted and grounded. And we're going to defy all those areas, and we're going to be able to discover how that God is able to make all grace abound and to uh, produce within you and me the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, wanting to actually get deeper into God as the winds blow harder. Um, so we've got two lines open, one 888 Love to hear from you. Let's just begin to have the conversation. I do want to go to line number one and talk with my friend Linwood in Oakland. Linwood, are you there? Linwood's not there on line one. Brother Nate, did we lose him? All right, he'll pick back up. Let's go to Celica in Oakland on line two. Celica, are you there? Yes, I'm here. So this is what my question is. If the Bible says that he do not like the shedding of innocent blood and that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how is it that... Can you hear me? I'm listening to you. How is it that what? Oh, I said, how is it that if God said he don't like the shedding of innocent blood, he don't, um, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a lot of Christian pastors that are voting for Democrats and Democrats are for the party of killing babies and they're the party of the LGBTQ. Correct. So I'm just trying to understand where is it in the Bible? Well, I'm not going to say in the Bible because we see what it says. But why aren't a lot of pastors being obedient to the word? And they're also leading their flock down the wrong way as well, because they are encouraging their their um, congregation to vote for um, Democrats. And if Democrats is all against what the Bible say, then how is that? I mean, it's, it's demonic to me. So I don't understand, like, why we got all these christian democrats running around here because it don't seem like they're being christian to me at all right so it's a couple two or three things that we can actually decipher here celica to actually begin to consider this on a uh probably more succinct fashion first and foremost uh it's not new that we would have christians professing christians whether true or not that don't think biblically that's the first thing we're going to work through because we, we have to actually categorize these things in order to, to be fair. There are a lot of Christians who do things that have absolutely no biblical basis for them. And uh, if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, you can go to church, you can be baptized, you can join a membership, and you can even be involved in ministry even at the level of pastor. It doesn't mean that you are uh, walking uh, in light of the uh, commandments, imperatives, indicatives, and prophetic truth of God's word. That does not at all mean that what we are describing right now, my dear sister, would be apostasy. Now, apostasy is always that period of time in the life of the people of God where a lot of people have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3 
uh, verse 7 and following. What that means is they will say, Lord, Lord, with their lips, but in their life they will deny him. That's Matthew chapter 7. This is where Jesus will be rebuking lots of people on that day uh, when they stand before him saying they did this, that, the other thing, and he will say, I never knew them. This is a very dangerous uh, realm of, of contemplation, but factually, Celica, it is actually a, a, a dangerously commonplace. And uh, given the, the climate of our culture and given the climate of our world, you and I are going to see more of this hollowed out uh, empty Christian profession because the Bible prophetically sets up what is called the apostasy and the great deception, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 through 9. Uh, God sends them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And you're certainly believing a lie when you are advocating one thing and God's word is prohibitive of that which you advocate and somehow you think that you are acceptable with God. Again, this is Jeremiah 5, 31 and Jeremiah chapter 7, where Israel boldly proclaimed to Jeremiah, God delivered us to do all these abominations. Um, but what I would say to you, Selica, is you're probably going to have to rein in your concerns about professing Christians along those lines, because Again, they just don't have any interest of actually being accountable for their uh, political alignment because they're in the majority with so many other people along that along that spectrum. Uh, they don't mind walking in contradiction. They don't mind uh, uh, talking apples and oranges. In other words, while you will say, well, what about the killing of babies and what about the explicit text of scripture about you know same-sex marriage and homosexuality and and uh, fornication and all that which is so blatantly practiced in many of our superficial churches no doubt about it and it's definitely significant in the african-american church without a doubt they won't be able to give you an answer they'll tell you to leave that alone and join us in our social justice movement because we need to stop the cops that are killing so many black men on the street which that, that kind of argument is simply begging the question, as you would probably already know. But what I am stating before I go to break is that you are dealing with a strong delusion. I have been talking about this, communicating this on this very radio program, uh, Monday uh, edition of Lifeline, which is political, spiritual talk for decades. And things mm -hmm. are not getting better in, in that regard. Abortions are still up in the African-American communi community astronomically. Black women are giving up their babies to uh, to uh, to that kind of murder. I think almost uh, two thirds compared to white women and other. And it's a dirty little secret. But as you stated, God sees it and uh, rank uh, idolatry and immorality is prevalent in most of your churches where the gospel is not preached and the spirit of God is not bringing power to actually convert men and women and bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You and I are going to have to accept that. Be much more inclined, my dear sister, in the year 2021 to uh, go deep with Jesus in your own knowledge of the word of God, uh, bear fruit upwards so that he is glorified in your life and find the people that are willing to engage you in seeking God uh, more readily than being distracted by the people who are demonstrating that they have no allegiance to biblical truth. Use the year 2021, my dear sister, to look out, look out for people who actually want to grow in Christ and be a facilitator of their growth. 
Thank you for the call. Got to take a hard break, pay some bills. Uh, we will take your calls on uh, the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, maybe even three. one 367 5329 one I'll be right back. All right, we are back. The time is 5.39 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's have some conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's go to line number two and talk with Egress in Hayward. Egress, are you there? Egress in Hayward going once. Egress in Hayward going twice. Hey, 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 hey. Hello? 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 Hello, can you hear me, Jesse? Yeah, I can hear you, man. Where you? Where were you at, brother? Sorry, I did, you were on mute, and I didn't know. I, I was. I put you on mute and forgot I was on mute. That's all good. That's all good. What's going on, man? Okay, well, congratulations on the uh, grandson. But uh, Thank I was going to ask you two. I was going to ask you two uh, questions. Sure. What is your view on people who are walking strongly with the Lord and and people who are living a legalistic lifestyle and condemning people? And the second one is, why is it in the church that, you know, when you really read the Bible thoroughly, a lot of it, a lot of it is not being taught. It's kind of the same. I'm not talking about the prosperity stuff, just like when you read the Deuteronomies, the Leviticus, the Ezekiel, so much, so much, so much fruit and richness in there. And as I've been getting deeper in it, it's like, why aren't they preaching this? And I understand that some people, you know, are still walking as babes, but it's literally the reason why. The body of Christ is suffering so much damage because we're not getting taught. But I don't even hold it on the pastor because I've never met a pastor who says, don't go home and read your word. So I just wanted you to kind of just kind of give your thoughts on, on those two topics. Yes. Egress, how much of how how much of my teaching have you heard over the years? Oh, I just started uh, this year and it's one of the apples. Man, I can't get enough of it. Okay. So yeah, like like yeah, if you were to if you were to go through our archives, we've got two websites, but if you were to go through our archives, I've covered everything largely in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, that could be covered in terms of the fundamental message of the Old Testament scriptures. And let me I'm gonna touch on that one first and then I'll touch on your second point that is also critical. See if I can split them because they actually are are two observations. The reason why there's not much teaching in the Old Testament is because most of your pastors have not been taught biblical theology. Most of your pastors Mm. haven't been taught biblical theology, which is a discipline that coheres both the Old Testament and the New Testament in such a way that when you teach the Old Testament, you don't have to create a synthetic divide between what happened prior to Christ's coming and what happened after Christ's coming in in order that somehow what you are doing is simply dealing with Old Testament antiquated historical accounts that have no transcendent redemptive principle behind them that's relevant today. If you understand New Testament theology well, you understand that the Bible as a a, uh, coherent whole is one singular message and it's Christ and him crucified. If men and women don't have a love for Christ, a love for the gospel, an understanding of a Christocentric, cross-centered, God-centered theology, then they can't take Genesis 1-1 and preach the gospel. They can't take Genesis chapter 6 and preach the gospel. They take, can't take Genesis chapter 7, 
chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, which is what I have done for decades upon decades, because Jesus said in the um, the psalm, Psalm chapter 40, verse 7, as well as the words coming out of the mouth of the Hebrew writer in chapter uh, 8 and 9, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it's written of me to do thy will. So the whole Bible is a testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, Revelation 19.10 says that the spirit of prophecy is evidenced by the ability of articulating the testimony of Jesus in all the scriptures. But when you haven't been taught the one singular theological truth that the whole of scripture must testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ, people don't know what to do with it, nor the principles that are to be derived from those Old Testament accounts that have New Testament application. But here's the, the trouble with that, Egris, uh, is that if we don't know the New Testament well enough, we're not going to do it because the vast majority of your New Testament, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all references to the Old Testament. In other words, mm. without the Old Testament, there is no New Testament. You can't actually even communicate the epistles or the exhortations in the book of Acts, and certainly not the preaching and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said it is written over and over and over again that mm -hmm. the scriptures right. might be fulfilled. You can't preach the New Testament without knowing the Old Testament well. So what you are often dealing with, Egris, are men who are not as equipped as they ought to be in the unity of scripture to lay out the principles in the Old Testament uh, as they should. So pray for them. And, and in fact, I'm going to encourage you, if, if it's God's calling in your life, step up to the bat, brother, because we need more men capable of handling the word of God in its totality, totality rightly dividing it, preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified through the volume of the book. Now, going to the other question before we get to a break, I think they are two, uh, and I don't think that they are equivalent. I don't think it's I don't think that a mature, uh, deeply mature believer who is clear on how the scriptures teach what spiritual maturity is, what Christian maturity is, would be a legalist. Let me make a distinction here. Real mature believers are not legalists. It's only immature believers who are legalists. They can be pastors, they can be elders, they can be deacons. If they are legalists, they are immature. They don't know the deep riches of Christ. They don't know the roots of grace that take you downward and bear the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ in a way where the believer can live a life of maturity, of productivity, of spiritual soundness, of discernment, of effectiveness, that only comes with real maturity in Christ. You will not find mature men and women being legalists. Legalists are immature men and women who pretend to be mature. They do not rightly divide the word of God. They do exactly what Jesus warned about in Matthew 23. You tithe, mint, ruin, common, but you omit the weightier things of the law, justice, mercy, and righteousness. In other words, when you are not operating out of a radically Pauline theology or a radically apostolic theology, which the New Testament is, you're going to be legalistic. 
You're going to be self-righteous. You're going to exalt principles that do not get exalted by the word of God or do not get exalted by Christ himself. You're going to minimize Jesus. You're going to maximize self-righteousness. You're going to point fingers mm. and condemn people for things with which the word of God minimalizes. You know what I'm saying? And so that kind of individual is not mature. That kind of ministry is not mature. It is filled with insecurity. It is filled with self-righteousness because it lacks a robust manifestation of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in its midst. Uh, and that, that does not constitute maturity. So when you're coming across legalists, you're coming across people who are putting on a form of godliness and they're substituting the sufficiency of the grace of God in Christ to help God's people grow for man-made rules and regulations such as Colossians chapter 2, touch not, taste not, handle not. Uh, all of that is a, a form of godliness, but it doesn't have the substance that Jesus Christ brings when you and I sit under the Spirit of God and are taught the Word of God in a way that it conforms us to the image of Christ. So I help, hope that helps, my dear brother. Got to take a hard break, which I wish I could talk more to you. Two lines open, one 5329 Got to take a hard break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. The time, 5.52 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Egress, those were great, great questions. On your second question, if you want to, you can treat the subject of, um, of weakness and strength, of legalism and a grace-oriented uh, mature believer. In Romans chapter 14, Paul had to deal with believers in the church that were becoming fastidious about uh, the, the new believers coming into the church, imposing upon them rules and regulations that they thought would make them look more like Christian and uh, Christians. And what Paul said was that they were indicating that they didn't trust God's grace in the life of those believers. They were asserting that those believers were weak while uh, they were strong, when in reality, a weak believer is a person who does not understand the parameters of grace, does not understand his freedom in Christ, and therefore will engage in superficial limitations, boundaries, uh, 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 externalities that may be on a moral level good. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, you know, I don't, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do the other thing. All those are fine, but they are never a substitute for the real righteousness of God in Christ or the fruit of the Spirit or the maturity that comes with winning men and women to Jesus Christ. On the other hand, a real mature believer will understand that there are parameters of freedom that all the people of God are called to. And within those parameters of freedom, we want to help men and women learn how to utilize their freedoms in a way that bring them deeper into their free, authentic, genuine, autonomous walk with God so that the, the growing believer is not being controlled by another person's conscience, but rather by the spirit of the living God. See, too many times an individual can be brought into captivity by men and not brought into captivity by Christ so as to be the product of the Spirit of God discipling you into the image of Jesus Christ, which is really important in terms of authentic Christianity. So read Romans 14 very carefully and it'll lay out what it means to be weak and what it means to be strong. Frequently, the weak people um, appear to be strong. And the stronger people 
um, appear to be weak. And we need to understand that paradox. Let me go to line number one, first of all, and talk with um, Mark in San Jose. Mark, are you there? Yes, sir. Um, I'd like What's to talk on? about the uh, Aaron Maria, who uh, won the coveted Owen Schroyer Nurse of the Year Award. And, uh, you know, you've got to be really smart to become a nurse. I know when I was young, I went to San Diego State for a year and I was hoping to be a, a male nurse, and, and then I got a D-minus in chemistry, so I decided to become a carpet cleaner, 2640419. But if you go to InfoWars and scroll down to War Room, there's this interview that he had with Aaron Maria Zelensky, and this girl, I'm telling you, she deserved the award because uh, what she did and what she is doing uh, on the 9th of uh, January in Florida, uh, she's having a conference because it's getting out uh, – the fine work that she did um, in exposing what's going on with the uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis uh, and how the nurses are being paid 10000 per week. And the doctors at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York, where Trump grew up at, are getting 50000 per week. And now she literally had to change her access card to protect her patients from being murdered. They're being murdered, Jesse. They're being killed. And the other nurses, most of them are turning turning the other way because they don't want to give up, you know, what's 10000 per week? That's more than half a million if you stretch it out to a year, right? And the Let me ask you, what's her last name? What's her last name, Mark? Zolinsky. Do you know how to spell that? I'm not I'll sure get it, how Mark. to spell it, but if you go to InfoWars, scroll, scroll I, I, down I, to I'm not, I, I, We don't have to go there. Because one of the things that I have to uh, be careful about, I have to be careful about, you don't. I have to be careful about us going down rabbit holes or taking up pathways that end up being uh, incredible, uh, non-credible. As you know, uh, Alex Jones has had to deal with some of the faux pas and mistakes he's made in the past with Sandy Hook and others. So we just want to be very careful. However, what, what I will affirm with you is that there are many, many good nurses and many, many good doctors who have been blowing the trumpet for months now around a lot yeah. of the very, very bad policies, very, very wicked policies that have been going on in, uh, in, in our medical industry around COVID, all because of money. Now, the, the point that I have uh, qu quickly affirm you in is that there is massive amounts of money uh, being paid out to, uh, to promote what's taking place in terms of COVID-19 and vaccines and what have you. I suspect and I hope I hope and pray that in 2021 that we have enough healthy media somewhere that will sufficiently expose many of these medical industries, whether they are the big pharma that's dealing with the vaccines at large or whether it's smaller private hospitals like you're talking about in New York, where they are doing things that are so unethical, so immoral, dangerous and probably deadly. But unfortunately, what I cannot do on this program is simply uh, I, I can't write off on it. I can't affirm you in that until I can validate that myself. And then I'll be able to share that information. I will check to see what this young lady, Erin Maria Zelensky, has done and see if we can validate that. The other unfortunate thing about your boy, Alex, uh, Mark, is that, you know, they basically relegated him to podcasts. And, and as a consequence, it makes it even more difficult to determine some of the things that he's saying as being substantially true, even though my own history 
uh, as well as yours, we would know that many things that he has said have been substantially true, but not all of them. So therefore, he has to be washed through a filter much more carefully, unfortunately, than uh, than he would have been if he would have been more careful down the line. You know, this was a conversation that him and Joe Rogan had on their 25 million uh, uh, watch system, 25 million people one time 15 million, another time 25 million engaged in watching him talk. And Rogan, Joe Rogan had to correct him several times for saying things that he couldn't substantiate. And in some cases, saying things that were wrong, of which he apologized, which I, I'm glad he did, because you just have to do that when you're wrong. If you want people to listen to you later, you got to admit when you're wrong. If you don't admit when you're wrong, you shouldn't be listened to, as we know in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. But that you are concerned about some of this crazy stuff that's going on is important because what's in view, man, is freedom. And if we're not free to talk about it, um, we're in real trouble. Yeah. And also what we can do, I was telling some of the brothers and sisters at church, I visited yours yesterday, to just tell them about your show and Craig Roberts' show there on KFAX because... You know, the bees, we're like bees. I mean, uh, the listeners are like bees. If you've ever seen this uh, video, they can actually find honey, and then they come back to the hive, and they do this little dance, and the other bees look at them. But I agree. I agree. They shake their butt or whatever. They can tell where that honey is at. They fly there within minutes. I agree. And you know what? I agree with that fully, and that's going to be the hope yeah. in the future because I'm telling you, in a minute, the uh, the uh, Fairness Act is going to come up again, and any substantial ministry that's standing on freedom and blowing the trumpet and exposing the corruption in our culture is going to be shut down. I probably will. I'll probably get shut down for being as bold and clear as I am. I don't care. I, I am going to look forward to um, you know finding other mediums in order to talk about these things, because right now I sense and recognize the danger that we are in, in a uh, a very uh, Maoist socialist system that is starting to dominate the narrative uh, by big, big, uh, you know, big tech, as they did through the elections. And that's not constitutionally right. But when you're talking about having a government that has been taken over and been controlled by so many foreign interests, it becomes obvious when you look at the media how profoundly propagandist it is and it's sad because that is the beginning stages to taking over and and if you will obscuring truth from being able to put be put on the airwaves so you guys pray that kfax will remain bold and committed to telling the truth and sharing it broadly with the kind of liberation that's necessary for people to do their own research and make sure that we're not hoodwinked by a left-right dialectical narrative because there are lies on both sides, as we've seen in the elections here recently, and in many accounts historically here in our media. They just don't tell you the God-honest truth. And when you don't get the God-honest truth, ladies and gentlemen, you can't be free because only the truth sets you free. I've got to take a hard break. When I come back, I'll pick up with Linwood on line two. We've got three lines open, one 367 5329 Please understand this. You and I don't need propaganda. We don't need parameters. We don't need boundaries. We need freedom to talk. Everybody needs to be free to talk. That is true liberalism. 
True liberalism is freedom to talk, freedom to debate, freedom to talk it through. You could be wrong, I could be wrong, but we need to be free to talk about it. If I have a superior position, a superior argument, a superior evidential argument than you, then the people will be able to discern that. If you have a superior argument than me, a better premise, a better and more cogent argument for your side than me, then the people will be able to pick up on that too. We must maintain our democratic premise or else we are in trouble because people are not thinking clear today and we need to think clear. But in All right, the uh, time is 6.13 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We are on the other side of the break. All the lines are open, one 367 I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your observations or your concerns going into the new year, 2021. Love to talk about it, one 367 one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. This will be the last Monday edition Lifeline of the year 2020. You might as well get on in. If you've never called before, give me a call. If this is a, a first time caller, love to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We've got about mm, 35 minutes to go, so let's have a conversation uh, that will prepare us and launch us into the year 2021. Uh, there is a recall taking place for Mr. Navin Goosem or our Gavin Newsom, however way you want to call it. And it looks like um, the numbers are reaching the level where uh, his hypocrisy has cost him. You remember the governor who told you to wear a mask, to stay inside, don't go to restaurants, don't, uh, don't eat with large gatherings, who did exactly the opposite. Right along with Nancy Pelosi and right along with Dianne Feinstein, your senators and uh, governor of California, do what we say, but don't do as we do. Um, at some point, as the uh, advertisement that was on just before our return to the show was stating, uh, Californians might be getting upset with and tired of this kind of domineering socialist control that's taking place in our state. But I kind of doubt it. I think we're kind of like the frog, proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water. We are boiling and the next thing we know, we're going to be cooked, never capable of jumping up out of the one party system that has dominated California for so long. There was another uh, advertisement that came on and basically it was a news alert uh, prior to or during the break where it was stated that President Trump, having vetoed some legislation that came to his desk around increasing the wages of the military, which should be done, but it should be more, more than 3%. That's, that's completely absurd and to me offensive. It should be 7%, 8%, if not more, our military deserves it. But what comes along with that policy for which Mr. Uh, Trump is vetoing it is the agenda of the anti-racist, if you will, uh, deconstructionists who want to change the names of our different uh, military bases around our country uh, because they hate the fact that they happen to have been people who may have owned slaves or advocated slavery, et cetera, et cetera. And President Trump is rightly opposing that. 
That's, that's not something that you do to a country just out of a whim, take its history away, even if the history is, is flawed with different uh, incredible behaviors on the part of the men and women who were part of that epic in history. If that's the case, if you're going to use that standard, the, the monument of Martin Luther King has to come down too because it was very evident that he behaved in ways that indicated a low respect for women if you want to look into that and other things besides. There could be many, many reasons for which all of the different uh, monuments of men and women who have donned history and made impacts whatsoever they had done uh, would require them coming down, if you will, uh, because they violated some kind of uh, standard on the part of the present uh, present day watchmen who want to be in control of the narrative of American history and punish people for things done for 400 years ago. We need to be extremely careful about letting that kind of uh, um, fascist agenda uh, prevail. Uh, nevertheless, it's happening in our country at all levels and overall assault on our country in order to change the very DNA of America, uh, uh, notwithstanding the historic problems that we have had, uh, to make us out to be something that I can tell you will not correspond with a, uh, a, a, a the facts historically or the agenda of God in his glory having worked through this nation to uh, exalt Christ, to spread the word of God, to establish freedom in order that men and women might prosper in ways in which you just don't have occurring around the world. That is in danger right now in our country on all of our constitutional levels, and we need to be alert about that. Let me go to line number one and talk with Tina in San Francisco. That is South San Francisco. Tina, are you there? Yes, hi. Um, hi, I need you is, to cut your radio it, down. Oh, I'm sorry. I just turned it no off. No problem. Uh, okay. Can I ask um, any, any question? or Because uh, I wasn't anything, listening to the whole anything. hour. Oh, okay. Yes, I wanted to ask, um, how do I put this briefly? Um, so I have some friends that I stopped talking to because I noticed um, their way of life is just, um, it's not Christ-like, and, and then I was told I was being too judgmental. So my question is, am I wrong when um, individuals around me use uh, the scapegoat as, well, nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect? So then they just continue the, the sinful way of life, and they don't even strive to do better. I don't see them trying. So I just don't want to be around those kind of people. Am I wrong for doing that? You might be. I think you need to unpack that a little bit more fully because that's really a very uh, general expression about something that could be uh, Can I harmless. Give an example or? Yeah, you, yeah, that's what you need to do because, you know, okay. um, Tina, that could be true of you or me in any given context. We could be falling short very uh, specifically in a particular area. Somebody might want to cut us off for that too. So you, you really want to think through what are behavior patterns that would merit the believer making sure they keep their distance or quarantine uh, the relationship so that you are not impacted by it. So give me your example. Okay, these are the examples. Um, I have been seeing them, their way of life is, um, I 
how do I explain this? Um, they've been going to uh, strip places and throwing their money at strippers, and they knew that I don't, I, I don't agree with any of that. I think they should be helping right. the poor. Yeah. Um, they said it's their money. They're wealthy. They could do what they want. Okay, but then I choose not to hang around with those kind of people, and right. I think that's degrading women, and I don't think that's right. That's a good example. I mean, that that's a good example. Are they professing to be believers? Yes, they. Okay, so they, so they thank you, Jesus, for this money. Right. So they're your typical. I, I, I've got this. Are they African American or what are they ethnically? Um, well, one is, and the other one is mixed. Okay. Right, but, because you know, I, what I do know is I had, this, I had this conversation a little earlier with my brother Egress in Hayward, who raised up the question um, as well. Um, and I think it was another caller earlier, uh, uh, Tina, that raised the question up about uh, behavior. And, and it's really true. So here's how we can put it because I, I want to just make sure that you're not engaging in a kind of legalism. Now, people will condemn you as being legalistic if you simply call out their inconsistency. That's not legalism. You're not being legalistic when you say, hey, that does not represent the believer well or right at all, that you should feel like you are free to misrepresent women, objectify women, in a strip club and throw money at them and call yourself a Christian, that is a glaring contradiction of which the Word of God explicitly, now listen, the Word of God explicitly tells us that we should not engage in anything by which the appearance of evil becomes manifest. The Word of God, and that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Word of God explicitly tells us in 1st uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that we are not to engage in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The Word of God explicitly tells us that in the era of porneia, that's pornography, and that's what the strip, job, strip club is all about, in the area of pornography, those people that are engaging in those things, Ephesians 5, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and following, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those kind of people engaging in that kind of practice either are not truly believers at all, have never been born again, do not understand the, the grounds of righteousness which compels the believer to pursue Christ, or they're such carnal Christians in their uh, profession of faith that they have been deficiently taught by their pastors or teachers what it means to repent, what it means to live for the glory of God, what it means to fight the good fight of faith, what it means to fight against the lust of the flesh. They are utterly ignorant of what it means to be a Christian. John made it very clear in 1 John chapter 3, the one that is born of God, this is 1 John 3, 9, does not continue in a pathway of sin that marked his life prior to his conversion. You are not going down a path that is dark, wicked, sinful, disobedient, rebellious against God, then get saved and continue down that same path. You are not saved. Right. You are lying against the truth. That's what Ephesians 5 says. You are lying against the truth. And in that context, Tina, every believer who fears God, who loves Christ, 
who knows God's word are obligated not to follow that path and are obligated to tell them they are wrong. So in that context, you are doing the right thing. So I could just do as I'm doing is pray from afar, because literally, to be honest, Pastor, when I come around this person or person sometimes, I just feel so disgusted. And I just right, because because you because you don't have any. There's no unity, Tina. The Bible is clear. Amos chapter three, verse three. How can two walk together except they be agreed? If you don't agree with them, they don't agree with you. There's no fellowship. When when two people don't have the same common bond, when they don't understand the same things, when they don't have a love for God the same way, they don't have fellowship. And you cannot pretend that there's fellowship where one is walking in darkness and the other is walking in light. This is exactly what John said. He made it very clear. If you're walking in the light and they are walking in the darkness, there can be no fellowship. Okay. So just pray from afar. Right, right, right. You love them. This doesn't have anything to do with love. This ain't got nothing to do with love. We love them, but you cannot love people who have no desire to walk in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it very clear. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. Love does not wallow in rebellion and sin and perversion. It does not bring Christ's name down into the mud and muck and mire. It does not do it. It will not do it. It actually cannot do it. And therefore, when men and women want to pretend that they know Jesus and can simply engage in the perversions that this world in a demonically wicked way uh, presents as a trap and a snare to the whole human race, then you and I have no part with the unfruitful works of darkness. Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 13, 1 Corinthians 5. It's important for people to know this. Colossians 3. Paul dealt with this particular subject so radically in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Corinthians, in the book of Thessalonians, in the book of uh, Colossians. He dealt with this so repeatedly because in the early church, Men and women were thinking they could just simply say Jesus is my Savior and continue living like hell. There is nothing about that kind of profession that even remotely constitutes a saving knowledge of God. You can have the last word. Pastor, um, I'd like to know, um, why is it that they can shut people out by telling them, don't judge, you're not God, are you God? Don't judge us because we're making our money this way by stripping and uh, it doesn't matter how we make our money, just as long as we're making our money. Right. And well, no, well, they don't know the Bible because your Bible, you can share with them what the Bible says. That's Romans chapter two lays it out. It's God that has already judged him. We're simply saying what God's word says. Romans chapter okay. one and Romans chapter two. You can start at Romans chapter one, verse 18, go all the way through Romans chapter two, verses okay. one through verse 14. Romans 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 14. Let them read that and then come back to you and tell you that God has delivered them to engage in all these abominations. Let them come back and tell you that they could do that after reading what Romans 1, 18 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 says, and I'd love to hear how they responded. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Bless you. All right. Bye-bye. see here. 
before I go to break. Let me go to Jermaine on line number three. Jermaine, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Hey, brother, what's going on? Well, not much. Uh, glad to get in on the last show of the year. Yeah, um, me too, me too, me too. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, just continuing from last week, I actually looked up the ingredients of um, some of those vaccines, and, you know, there's enough of a question mark there for me to just kind of sit back and, and wait because I, I, see, I see the recovery rates and I see the success rates, and I'm just uh, I'm leery this point and one thing 2020 has taught me is i'm actually one of those people i'm, I'm glad that the media got turned on top of its head where you right. just don't know who you could trust because it makes you dig deeper to find yes. more authentic news sources yes and uh that's why i applaud your program for what you do and, and how you relate it back biblically now, the issue of the vaccines, I can tell you, you did a very prudent thing. You know, I, I told our congregation they need to do this. You are so absolutely right. I told the congregation a couple of weeks ago toward the end, <clears throat> end of a message, and you know this, that no one should tell you that you should take the vaccine and no one should tell you that you should not take the vaccine. Every believer is obligated to know the contents in that vaccine. They are obligated to know that because your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are owned lock, stock, and barrel by Jesus Christ. Your body is the temple of the living God. And, and it's important for you to know the track record of the vaccine up to now. And you can find that out. There are a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors that are exposing the impact of the vaccine on different people that already have uh, pre-existing conditions. There are people who have gotten, uh, uh, you know, all they have responded in several different ways that have been horrifically problematic uh, that, that really requires us uh, drawing the line and certainly opposing a mandate of the vaccine. But certainly the contents ought of, uh, they ought to warn you, they ought to uh, trouble you. And uh, we will probably be talking about the contents of the vaccine in the new year. They are problematic, to say the least. Thanks for the call. I've got to take a heart break on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Pay some bills. Three lines open. one 367 one on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And we are back. The time is 6.36. If you want to join the conversation, be glad to have you. one 367 one You can go online and you can find all kinds of examples of impact. Bell Palsy hit several of the people that took the Pfizer vaccine and, uh, you know, they, they rushed out to quickly disavow any correlation between the vaccine and the Bell Palsy, uh, uh, Palsy even though... Among the people that took the placebo, there was no Bill Palsy effect. And so they, they argued it by rationalizing that these are normal statistics within a group of uh, 10,000 people. Some of them are going to react with a kind of Bill Palsy uh, response. But there you go. There is reason to be concerned because people have conditions and situations in their lives where vaccines can bring about that kind of uh, very negative, very problematic response. And I'm sure by now there are tons 
of uh, situations that are not recorded, that are not reported, that should be reported, that might get reported, but given the way our media is working right now, ladies and gentlemen, they may not report it for a long time. If you start dealing with the background to uh, the vaccine in terms of the well, uh, World Health Organization, you're going to learn a lot. Always follow the money. It's important for you to know that. Always follow the money. And you and I have talked about the history has laid out a pathology of our government telling us one thing and doing another. You have no reason to just uh, ignorantly and naively trust your government. You need to be diligent. You need to be vigilant. Your body is not your own. It is God. And we will have to give an answer for our bodies to him one day. And uh, if, if you and I are, 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 are free citizens uh, under our constitutional rights, we should exercise them. We need to be vigilant and diligent and be informed. If you're going to take the vaccine, you certainly may. Uh, but be informed. Be ready to suffer the consequences of long-term uh, autoimmune uh, effects five years from now, 10 years from now. You're going to hear all of that coming into the woodwork down the line. And then you're going to discover a lot of other very scientifically arguable things about this present mode modality of, of the vaccine that we just need to be thoughtful about. Um, it's just going to come. I'm here to tell you it's going to come. So be be very careful. Be very careful. Let me see here. Let me see if Linwood finally showed up on line number two. Linwood, are you there? Hey, Jesse, my brother, man with beautiful feet. How you doing this evening? It's good to hear from you, man. Glad to have a long-time listener back online with us for the last program of the year. How are you doing? I'm doing well, brother. The subject that I have wanted to uh, touch base with you on, the guy is that, man, I would love to see Mel Gibson make a movie with this brother because he's an intriguing character. And that's sure. Nehemiah. And what right. I wanted to touch base with you on, and you kind of mentioned some of the things. I, I realized why the phone dropped earlier because what I had wanted to ask you kind of coincides with what you have been saying today, uh, you know, just basically in talking. And the chapter I wanted to speak on was Nehemiah 13, sure. verses 22 to 26. And I wanted to ask, would that semi or semi somewhat coincide with Jesus' zeal when he had taken a time out to make a whip? I mean, to make a whip means he had to you know, put these uh, leather pieces together and actually make a whip and uh, beat the money changers out. And he says, you know, you call, you know, you've made my father's house, which should be called a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And my question is, with this particular verse of Nehemiah 13, 22 to 26, be similar to that or would it be different? Nope. It's very similar. In that, as you heard earlier, and you know me, you've been hearing my preaching for years, you know that, you know that Jesus is to be understood everywhere in the Bible, right? Amen. You know that. You know that the spirit of prophecy is going to testify to the person and work of Jesus everywhere in the Bible. That's why he said in Psalm 40, verse 7, to the Father, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It's written to me to do thy will, O God. So what I'm going to do now is just take uh, Nehemiah 13, which I love the whole book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great, great type of the Lord Jesus Christ on so many levels, but certainly on the level of revival and reformation, revival and reformation. He is the king's cupbearer. What's that? 
No, no, okay. no, no. Somebody's asking me a question. Okay, no, he's the king's cup bearer. And Jesus is the one who bears the cup uh, for our sins as well. So he stands between us and God. And Nehemiah is the one who cared about the welfare of Jerusalem. He restored the gates thereof. And that's what Christ does. He's the repairer of the breach. But in repairing the breach, Linwood, you also have to clean up the house. And you know that's exactly what Nehemiah did in the whole of Jerusalem. He cleaned up the house because it had been infiltrated. The deep state had come into Israel with uh, with uh, the three unholy trinity, the Arabian, Sambalat, and Tobiah. They had entered and <laughs> infiltrated and taken over the government in, in uh, hey, man, Israel, in Jerusalem. And I'm Nehemiah had to deal with that. And in Nehemiah's dealing with it, he we come to the <clears throat> 13th chapter after a revival breaks out in chapter 8, where he does what you and I know is called a Bible-based, Christ-exalting, expository preaching model in Nehemiah chapter 8, where he stands up, explains the Word of God for several hours. By the time we get to chapter 13, he's dealing with the high priest. He's dealing with the infiltration into the priesthood. He's dealing with the corruption of the Levites marrying strange wives. He's excommunicating these women. He's driving out. He's purging. He's cleansing the house. He's purging the house, even as Jesus did it at the beginning of his ministry and Jesus did it at the end of his ministry. Why? Because the house of God had become a den of thieves and robbers. And that is the condition of the apostate church today, thieves and robbers. And it's also the condition of our government. Our government is filled with thieves and robbers who have allowed foreign interests to come in and buy our politicians. This is why Donald Trump, when he came in under the notion of draining the swamp, he got some of that work done, but he did not have any idea how deep, deep, deep the uh, government had been infiltrated by the Russians, infiltrated by the Chinese especially, but now he's figuring it out. They're getting rid of him because he does care about America. He recognizes that we've been sold out. He recognizes that we are in danger of being completely subverted if our leaders don't repent and turn back to God and begin to establish an America first policy. And this is the deception that's taking place in our nation right now as we speak. Oh, that the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit would be pleased to, to ride his white horse of righteous judgment through our land and purge our government of wicked rulers who have sold the American people out for their own interests. This rises up to the judiciary. It's also in the legislative branch. It's definitely in the administration of Donald Trump because he just wasn't smart enough to know how to pick up the right men and women who would not betray him. And this is where he is. This is why he's not getting a second term because they will not have this man to clean up Washington. And the only way our country is going to turn around is if a Nehemiah type of person goes in and pluck off the beard and beat down the priesthood and correct and purge and strip the uh, the administration of wickedness as Solomon so laid it out. Without it, 
Our country is doomed. We will be under the discipline of God at the third level of which John MacArthur has plainly laid out. First, it's idolatry. We've been there for decades. Second, it's immorality. We've been there for decades. Thirdly, it's reprobation. God gives men and women up to a reprobate mind because they would not retain a knowledge of God in their theses, in their worldview. And that's what we're seeing in our country right now. And I'll tell you, Nehemiah 13 is so absolutely apropos to not only what Jesus did, Linwood, in the beginning of his ministry, John 2, and then did, did it again at the end of his ministry, John uh, uh, 17, uh, John chapter 18, as well as the gospel of Mark and Matthew. Uh, but it's applicable today. We are dealing with a time in which leadership is is devastatingly compromised and corrupt across our nation and even in our churches. You're seeing apostasy in our churches of the likes you have never seen before. Uh, we are succumbing to the same narrative that our government is succumbing to, a anti-racist, systemic racism uh, kind of mode of deconstructionism that's fundamentally departing from a biblical worldview and uh, your text that you have uh, shared with us tonight could okay. not be more relevant. I'll give you the last word. I've got to take a break. Thanks, Jesse. Bless you, my brother. Got to take a hard break. We'll be right back with Marlis and close out the program. He's going to give you a last word. I, I, I All right, we are back. We are winding down our time. Let's go to line number three and talk with Marlis in Castro Valley. Marlis, are you there? First of all, Marlis. congratulations on your new grandson. Yes, indeed. I'm happy as a lark. I am building my army uh, to recover our country with sound doctrine and valiant soldiers of redemptive reality. Samuel, Liam, Micah, <clears throat> Uh, Jonah, uh, Josue, and, and Antonio, and everybody else's sons and daughters that want to rise up and fight against this crazy that's going on in our world, too. Happy about it. Happy about it. How can we help you in these last few minutes we have? Okay, I have uh, three things I want to say. We, we got one, five minutes. Marlis. Okay, I'm just going to put some, I'm, I'm going to mention it, and then you can say what you want to say, and we may have to talk about it in 2021 if, if the Lord allows us to see that. Um, Amen. I want to grow in freedom next year. I want to grow, well, actually starting today, but especially the next year, I want to grow in freedom from legalism. I need to understand, I want to know, be able to see more in my own mind where I am being legalistic and to yeah. know from studying the Bible and hearing the Word of God more yeah. in how to apply that. That's one. That's number one. Number two, I struggle with some of the things that you say about 
Trump because I, and I don't know if this is because of uh, an example of my being legalistic, I see him as doing a lot of corrupt things, even though he may be doing some good things. And those corrupt things are not, as far as I can tell, they are not inconsequential. But I will say this. I don't know if I'm just seeing things, but I kind of think that maybe Mr. Trump is shifting. He, 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 he actually looks a little more humble these days. And I wonder if God is working on him. And we're All right, you, you got to go to the fifth. You got to go to the third question because that one's long. That one's long. Okay. Well, there's something to think about. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's a man, another public figure, who I think we should be watching to see what God is actually going to lead him to himself. His name is Jordan Peterson. He is a professor. I already know about Jordan. I know about Jordan very well. And so, yeah, for time's sake, that's the only reason we don't have the time to go through the historiography of Jordan Peterson. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed Jordan for years. He's a spark plug. God has used him mightily uh, to deal with and debate the issue of deconstructionism, systemic racism, freedom of speech. He's fought many battles. God has actually employed him to uh, invigorate lots of young people to think rationally, logically, <clears throat> conservatively and be principal in their uh, in their stance against postmodernism, which is the fundamental deception that's dominating our culture right now. While it's the inability to think rationally, logically, and coherently, uh, because colleges dumb you down that way <clears throat> and mystify you, destroy any capacity for you to be able to think coherently. Jordan Peterson has done a great job in that regard. Whether he's a believer or not. That's another conversation for us because he's coming from a deeply and profoundly philosophical place when he deals with scripture. A lot of us already know about a lot of what he has done in the past. What we are absolutely clear about is that he does not have a radical crystal centricity that is rooted in the uh, the, the traditional foundations of a uh, incarnational theology of Jesus. His is much more metaphysical. That is problematic, although... <clears throat> excuse me, it does fit up under the umbrella of historic Catholicism with this mysticism. So we got to pray for Peterson to actually come all the way into the gospel as we would for Donald Trump. But it shouldn't surprise any of us when men are placed, men or women, placed in the crucible of public uh, testing. This is the thing you got to respect about Mr. Trump, even if you don't like him. I don't care about liking people. It's completely irrelevant to the bigger issue here of influencing our world for good. You don't have to like me. I don't care. If I'm telling you the truth, if I'm telling you something good for your soul, if I'm doing something for our society that when history actually records it accurately, I have actually been uh, in line with God's will. I don't care about what people think about uh, me emotionally or personally or characteristically. It matters very little, not at all, but very little. And the same thing with Jordan Peterson. He was very much a fire above, but both him and uh, 
Trump have been humble, and rightly so. If you're in the limelight, if you're on the platform, if you're standing up for a particular truth in categories of life that matter, and Peterson has dealt with academia, he has blown the trumpet everywhere in the world, and they have beat him down mercilessly. He's had nervous breakdowns. He's had to go on medicine. He's had to take leaves, and he is recovering. He is humbled by it. Of course he makes mistakes. We all do. Mr. Trump has learned an awful lot over these four years. I wish he had another four years because he would be a different man four years from now than he was even four years ago, albeit four years ago. I didn't vote for him because of his atrocious behavior that was obvious before with his womanizing, et cetera. But that has nothing to do with the kind of policy changes and implementation of, of policies that he has proven over the last four years, particularly for poor people, for black people, and for uh, uh, college students and across the board. So many things he will be noted for when he's gone, minus his idiosyncratic personality traits, which have rubbed many of us the wrong way, but that's probably true of me as well. Listen, we've got to take a heartbreak, and I mean a real heartbreak, like the end of the program. And Lord okay, willing, we'll, we'll pick up next uh, To be continued, Happy New Year. You too, my sister. You too. All of this, Lord willing, to be continued. Uh, next week, Lord willing. Until then, keep your eyes on Christ. He's the only perfect one that we can look to.